It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Friday, February 23rd. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. Senator Jesse Keel and Representative Andy Story have introduced a pair of bills that would more than double the amount of aid Alaska can give out to people affected by disasters. Keel, a Juneau Democrat, said the bill was prompted by recent disasters like the 2020 Beach Road landslide in Haines and last summer's glacial outburst flood in Juneau. I've seen uh, now a couple of disasters in my district and looked at others around the state, and I've seen just how much more we need to do to help Alaskans. Many recent Alaska disasters didn't qualify for federal help. That put more pressure on the state to provide relief to people whose homes were damaged or destroyed. Now, state aid to homeowners maxes out at just over $20,000. Both the Senate and House versions of the new bill would bump that to $50,000. We'll never be able to afford as a state to cover it all, and this doesn't replace insurance. But so many of these disasters aren't things you can actually get insurance to protect yourself from. Landslide insurance isn't available in Alaska, and Juneau's glacial outburst flood hit areas that were not in an official flood zone. Many affected homeowners didn't have flood insurance. Keel said the flood also showed how some homeowners were excluded from state aid. Under state law, homeowners associations have to share the cost of disaster repairs, but their individual members don't qualify for aid. So when Juneau's glacial outburst flood damaged the Riverside condos, residents had to pay for more than a million dollars of repair work out of pocket. And so the bill fixes that. It says if the damage was because of uh, the disaster, you can use your disaster assistance for your share of that shared responsibility. Last year, Alaska had three declared disasters, the Juneau outburst flood, spring flooding around the Yukon and Kuskokwim rivers, and the deadly landslide in Wrangell. And climate change is making destructive disasters more common. 2023 was a record year for billion-dollar disasters across the country. That's increasing demand for federal aid. Story, a Juneau Democrat, says that's part of why the state needs to step up. Both lawmakers say they hope at least one version of the bill will pass the session. Governor Mike Dunleavy issued 12 executive orders at the beginning of this year's legislative session. One of those would bring big changes to a board tasked with overseeing Alaska's ferry system. Right now, legislative leaders in the state House and Senate have the power to appoint four of the board's nine members. The executive order would change that, allowing the governor to appoint all nine. The order didn't get a firmer look from senators until this week, when it came before the Senate Transportation Committee. Alaska Public Media state government reporter Eric Stone spoke to KTOO's Katie Anastas about what the board does and why some lawmakers are skeptical. So this executive order is all about the Alaska Marine Highway Operations Board. Let's start with the basics. What is this board? So it's a committee made up of nine members. It's supposed to help the AMHS plot its future course, so to speak. Uh, They're also supposed to give advice on basically how to run the ferry system better. Uh, It was created by the legislature to replace the uh, the previous version, the Marine Transportation Advisory Board, which was criticized as uh, ineffective. And there are all kinds of folks on it. There's a union member, a representative of a tribal group. Uh, There's a deputy transportation commissioner. And then six members who have specific expertise in a variety of areas are helpful to the marine highway system. Uh, here's uh, Senator James Kaufman. He is an Anchorage Republican, and he was one of the architects of the board. We wanted to be sure that in aggregate that the board had um, not any one person, but when pulled all together, that the board had the technical competencies around um, enterprise management, um, you know, quality management, the different things that, that help. 
And I spoke with uh, Representative Louise Stutz, the former speaker in early February about this. Uh, she's a Kodiak Republican and a big ferry system booster. And she says the board and its structure was the product of consensus. We really took a lot of time and care to work on, and it was a bipartisan, bicameral um, piece of legislation that passed both bodies unanimously. So it's a little bit difficult for me to um, accept redoing the whole board. And so the executive order would allow the governor to appoint all members and not just a majority of them. That's right. And do we know why the governor wants that change? Well, so I was wondering that for quite a while, actually. Uh, until this week, all the administration had really said about this publicly is that the executive order made the government more effective and efficient and provided mechanisms for accountability. But they hadn't really explained how. And we did get something of an explanation from the Department of Transportation on Tuesday. So DOT's Andy Mills works with the board pretty closely. He's also the legislative liaison for, for Department of Transportation. And he told the Senate Transportation Committee that the administration wanted the board to be accountable to the governor. How the board uh, appointing power works uh, does create a layer of accountability that that may not exist for the the board to uh, work with uh, the department. And again, my words, my characterization, but sometimes uh, interactions, and again, very specific uh, interactions, not the entire board, it's been more adversarial than advisory, which is unfortunate. DOT Commissioner Ryan Anderson says the board isn't delivering the short and long-term plans that it's tasked with crafting. Uh, and he compared the board with some of the other boards that have all the members appointed by the governor, like the Roads and Highways Advisory Board. Alignment is a word that I think of quite a bit when we're talking about these boards that, you know, boards that are aligned, that come together, uh, move things forward quickly. And did those ideas ring true for lawmakers? Some lawmakers were skeptical. Uh, Senator Kaufman took issue with the idea that it's the board's job to come up with these short and long-term plans for the ferry system. Uh, Kaufman says the board's job is to give advice on plans that DOT is supposed to come up with. Thus, it's not quite right to say the board isn't doing its job. Uh, Senator Jesse Keel, he's a Juneau Democrat, big booster of the ferry system. He took issue with the commissioner's characterization that certain members weren't aligned with one another. Uh, He said in past years, he's seen Marine Highway leadership pretty well aligned making tens or hundreds of millions of dollars of decision, uh, decisions sometimes um, in ways that have turned out to be uh, inefficient, sometimes in ways that have turned out to be failures. Um, quick, quickly achieving alignment um, may, may not be in the best interest of the system at all. So Anderson, the DOT commissioner, uh, he emphasized later in the meeting that the that two of the members that are appointed by the legislature, who happen to be the chair and the vice chair of this board, would not necessarily be replaced if this order takes effect. But of course, all the members would serve at the pleasure of the governor, and that means they could be replaced at any time. Okay, got it. So what comes next? So the Senate Transportation Committee will hear some public testimony, and then they'll likely move it out of committee to the Senate floor. Um, And then from there, the path is a bit murkier. Uh, The legislature has until mid-March to take a joint session vote on uh, disapproving the the governor's executive orders, and that would prevent them from taking effect. Uh, But the House has to invite the Senate into joint session for that to happen, and all this objection we've been hearing has been on the Senate side. Last we heard, that the House was open to a joint session, but they hadn't quite worked out the details of how that would work. Uh, And even if they do come into joint session, it's no guarantee they wind up voting the orders down. So you'll just have to stay tuned. All right. That was Alaska Public Media's Eric Stone. Eric, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. 
That was KTOO's Katie Anastas speaking with Alaska Public Media state government reporter Eric Stone. The U.S. Department of Agriculture announced earlier this month it intends to buy millions of pounds of Alaska salmon and pollock products. As KDLG's Christina McDermott reports, the bid comes as Alaska seafood processors are struggling to sell their fish and many fishing crews are contending with extremely low prices for their catch. The U.S. Department of Agriculture will purchase nearly 2 million cases of canned salmon and 15 million pounds of pollock, according to a press release from the Alaska Seafood Marketing Institute. Alaska's congressional delegation praised the salmon bids in a joint press release, saying the department's salmon purchases will account for up to $100 million. The bulk of that money will go towards purchasing pink salmon, with the rest going towards sockeye. In January, dozens of state lawmakers signed a joint letter to the USDA requesting it buy Alaska seafood to help stabilize the industry, citing a tight timeline with processors needing financial support to prepare for the 2024 season. Other industry groups have also called on the department to boost its support for Alaska seafood products. Major seafood processors such as Trident and OBI Seafoods have stated that they have struggled to sell their supply, citing decreased domestic demand as well as a tightening international market. Across Alaska, several processors have closed facilities. And the request comes as prices paid to fishermen crashed across several species last year. The purchases should help move products ahead of the upcoming season and this year's base price announcements. The fish purchased through the USDA will go to programs aimed at reducing hunger, including school meals and food banks. In Dillingham, I'm Christina McDermott. Taking a look at the community calendar. Sitka Tribe of Alaska Health and Human Services Committee meets at noon today via Zoom. Female-identifying students in 6th through 8th grade are invited to join the sister program of Girls on the Run at 2.10 p.m. Friday, February 23rd at Blatchley Middle School. St. Michael's Cathedral, the Sitka Film Society, and Coliseum Theater present a free screening of Sacred Alaska at 5 p.m. today. A new chair dance workshop by Joe DeBell is at 6 p.m. today at 207 Smith Street. Hames Center presents the Banff Center Mountain Film Festival World Tour at 7 p.m. today at the Sitka Performing Arts Center. And the Sitka Tribe of Alaska invites all parents to Parents' Night Out, a sober dance party with music, dancing, snacks, and mocktails at 7 p.m. at the Sitka Sound Science Center's Mill Building. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.